Ah, uh, yes. You know what that sound means, Darby? That sound means that the U.S. men's national team has fucked up in epic proportions once again. Hello, if you are just joining us, my name is Jake, and of course, this is our World Cup Qualifying Special Edition Podcast. I am joined today by my partner in misery, Darby. Darby, how are you doing? I mean, I'm miserable. I mean, not actually, oh. really, but, you know, I'm... This soccer match tonight is is do or die, and I'm I'm not hopeful. Yeah, I mean it's been quite the last seventy two hours from a draw with Canada to what we thought was going to be a very brief Weston McKinney sighting to Weston McKinney's dad making an appearance to straight cisgender men saying that they're going to be a man and not rat on their cisgender straight dude like teammates all the way to like you know now we're going to honduras i mean it is just falling apart and it is either glorious or painful depending on how you look at it um but yeah you may have noticed that we started this podcast with an alarm sound and not with the traditional podcast intro and that is because if you take a look at twitter the whole damn thing's on fire um, everybody is freaking out, and rightfully so, because if you remember, literally last time we did World Cup qualifying, we did the exact same thing. We dug ourselves a hole, and then Phantom Goal, which shall not be named a la waterlogged pitch in Trinidad and Tobago, um, cost us a World Cup qualifying slot, and this team was supposed to be different, and I do think that they'll get there, but right now, that alarm sound should be 100% what is being played on loop in the U.S. locker room because this is 100% figure it and out and put up or shut the fuck up time. That's my thoughts. Where are you at, Derby? Yeah, it's it's absolutely right. I mean, I, I may have caught some flack for saying that the Canada game was a must win. And it's not so much that the Canada game was a must win but what comes after the Canada game, if the Canada game wasn't a win, was going to be an alarming thing. And here we are with the alarm. So, yeah, it's everything's on fire. Uh, Weston McKinney is in Italy and um, is threatening. Uh, he or and or his representatives in the form of his dad are threatening <laughs> to take the entire team down with him. So it's yeah, it it could be bad. Real quick, let me just get a side note in here. I'm so glad we pay these guys so much more than our women's team because clearly they're mature enough to handle it. I mean, obviously, this is this is just right up there. Just put that in the court case. Case closed. Demonstrating 100% why they get paid way more. Because, you know, yeah. So, moving on from that little tidbit, just wanted to make sure we really got that little knife twist in there. So, the U.S. Soccer Federation hears this. That was it, you guys. Figure your shit out. Um, Yeah. Look, I think that we very much so made it clear that while Canada wasn't a must win, it was one it was a home game that you really would have liked to have won. Um looking at Honduras, is anything a must win this early? No, it isn't. Like let's 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 be blunt. It's a long cycle. Are there games that are played this early that will come back and bite you in the ass later? A hundred percent. We're talking about the difference between maybe third or fourth or fourth and fifth place here being a point. And so these points are scarce and hard to come by. And look, 
it's not dead yet, right? Like if the U.S. figures their shit out and pulls out a win tonight in Honduras, which by the way, if you haven't been paying attention, we are historically bad on the road in World Cup qualifying. Um, in fact, you know, I think you have a better chance of hitting the lottery than you do the U.S. winning a road World Cup qualifier. But if by some odd chance they figure it out and they win, then five what five points out of the first three games is an acceptable number. Is that going to happen? Probably not. But it could. I mean, it could. Anything could theoretically happen. I mean, we theoretically could get struck by lightning, but it's not likely. So that's where I'm at. Um, Darby, like, what do you, what do you, what do you think? Like, what is three points is acceptable if they get a draw for you? Like, in terms of the first three games, is they if they win this, does that make the Canada loss a little bit? Offset the way I kind of see it, you know, for every time you lose a game at home, you got to make up with a win on the road at some point in the cycle to even it out. So if they somehow manage to pull off a win in Honduras, a place that's historically hard to win, then I feel like we could feel a little bit better about this three game set. Yeah, I mean, if if we could fill if we could pull off a win in Honduras, it would be huge. It, it would be really huge. Like you said, anything can happen. And, and that is 100% what I'm rooting for this evening. Um, but I just, yeah, I mean, the Honduran team is, and, and side note, if, if anybody knows the Honduran team, it is a Houston Dynamo fan. Because for years, that's where so many of our players came from. Like, I've been keeping an eye on the Honduran system because it was almost a direct pipeline to Houston for quite some time. And so whenever I watch Honduras play, I'm, I'm not only seeing a current Dynamo player, I'm seeing uh, other Dynamo players that have come through and moved on, uh, other people that they had scouted. Like, I, I feel like if there is another team that we are that we are playing against, I have the most expertise in talking about how Honduras is playing. And they really are a powerhouse. They really do have uh, a defense that we really have got to come with a strong, smart, and, and, and skilled. Like, we need precise passing, precise uh, ball handling in the offensive side in order to come up against this Honduran team because they do not fuck around in the defense department. And... Um, and yeah, Polisic is going to be key. We need his confidence. We need his skill. Um, and and Weston McKinney would have been delightful. And I am also very concerned because, of course, Kellen Acosta has a level of skill, but that boy loves drama. That yes. soccer player, I mean, he we're, we're two minutes into a game and he's already going to start a fight. Like, he also yes he he really loves and 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 i i am not a pacifist i i'm not uh anti fighting i'm not anti tough play um but he just really seems to drag it out of um everyone way too early he's not fighting for a cause he's fighting to fight and and i'm really worried about the lack of weston mckinney pulling uh kellen acosta into the front line um as, as an almost certainty. 
and what that's going to do when you put that up against the Honduran defense. Like there is a cauldron of trouble boiling up there that makes me incredibly nervous. So, of course, this game being played at the Olympico Metro Panalio, I can never say this. You would think having been there a bunch of times, I could get this word out. But for some reason, I can just never get it done. And, of course, that is being played in San Pedro Sula. Uh, again, a historically, historically hard place to to play. I mean, it is it is it is a hard place to play um, real quick as a. Another brief moment. Um, we were gifted again with all of the other teams in, in the qualifying getting draws with the exception of Mexico, who is pretty much doing exactly what we should be doing, but also like hasn't had too tough of a match yet. They did play Costa Rica in Costa Rica and they got a win, but it wasn't pretty. Um so there's that, but their first match against Jamaica, I mean, you know, let's see. It's still a long way to go. Um, I think that what is important is that, look, we are going in to a situation here where basically we are potentially looking at a four or five team race for two automatic bids in a playoff spot. Um, so look, we're taking, we're taking points and I went on the BBC and I stand by what I said that I do still think the U S is the dominant team in CONCACAF right now. I do, which is why it's so disappointing to see them playing this way. Um, I think they got overconfident, but as it stands right now, a win tonight, putting them at five points, would be massive because tonight we also have Panama and Mexico. And let's just be clear. I do think Panama can beat this Mexico team. I mean, they've had some really strong games. And so like they got a draw of Costa Rica and they beat Jamaica by more than Mexico did in a more convincing fashion. And let me just be crystal clear here. Cause I feel like we didn't touch on this last time. Mexico should have got a draw of Jamaica. Let's just, put that it was a last second miracle goal so like Mexico wasn't exactly as good as their point number shows and I don't believe the U.S. is as bad as their point number shows that being said this team has to fucking win because you can be great on paper but guess what Paper don't get you shit if you don't win games and get to the World Cup. You can win the Gold Cup. You could win World, you know, you could win literally anything on the planet. Hell, you could go to Copa America and win that. None of it matters if you do not do the one thing that this was set up for. And honestly, look, if they had gone winless in Gold Cup, and if they had gone winless in the Olympics, if they had gone winless in every single tournament in the last four years, and won all of their World Cup qualifiers, I would have said this has been a great four years for U.S. soccer because this is what it boils down to. This is literally what we built this team for. It was a complete rebuild, restructured plan from start to finish with one goal and only one goal, and that was fix the fuck up that derailed soccer in this country by 20 years because we couldn't figure our shit out. And I may seem like I'm overly passionate about this, but the fact is, 
I'm still hurting from it. And all you have to do is look at watch parties in this country for qualifying and see how low those numbers are at bars across the country because no one has confidence in this team and everybody is afraid they're going to miss the World Cup or they just don't care because we weren't at the last one. Missing World Cups derails soccer in countries and it's a huge ripple effect. So yeah, I'm a little steamed because... This is not something I want to go through again. And right now, it seems like we're going through it again. And the biggest concern that people had when Greg Berhalter was hired was, is he going to be competent enough to get through World Cup qualifying? There were better options on the table. Let's just be completely blunt. There were much more experienced non-US-based coaches who would have been better suited in terms of resume for World Cup qualifying. They went with Greg Berhalter, who thus far has surprised a lot of people, myself included. I will give him credit, but, and we're going to get into this in a minute, his decisions in the case of the match were baffling at best and downright just awful at worst. And we cannot, as a soccer country, continue to sit here and pretend that everything is okay when clearly everything is not okay. This team on paper is incredibly talented and at the end of the day, if they aren't performing at the level they need to perform, it's a management problem. And if they're not being put on with players who know what they're doing, it's a management problem. And if players are sneaking out and breaking COVID protocols, it's a management problem. And somebody needs to own that. Wow. So I, I really feel like that soccer on a whole has got to unpack some of this trauma from the last World Cup. Because as you were sitting there passionately talking, I was 100% with you. And it was very, very familiar to me. It, it felt like a lot of my therapy sessions that I had last year where I focused on a lot of resentments. And I could hear my, my counselor like in the back of my head going, here's what you do. Make this list. Do this thing. And I'm like, that's what we need. I, I, I may need to get on Twitter. And, and find some sort of uh, mental health professional that can focus on soccer trauma. I don't know if that's a specialty, but God, it should be, shouldn't it? Cause, because, yeah, it you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, and, 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 yeah, that's, I, I really had a lot of confidence coming into this, in, in, into this qualifying based on what, Greg Berhalter had been able to do over the summer and, and the way that he had coached the teams to the wins that we got. Um, but, but yeah, it really does seem to be falling apart and it is very concerning. Uh, you know, he did have one job and the summer was a bonus and that's great, but that doesn't cancel out your one job. Um, I, I don't know if it was his, lack of a plan that caused him to continue to make poor choices in the match the other evening. Um, but like, and, and I feel like the game management and, and energy management, like make subs, like how hard can that be? Get fresh legs where they need to be. They're there for a reason. Like making the right subs just seems like soccer management one Oh one. And still something that people struggle with so much. And and I really, like, 
I empathize on one level that he came into the in, into the game with a plan that the plan had to change at the last minute. He had to pivot the plan, but you know, when when you get paid to make a plan, make a contingency plan. You know, what happens if I have to send Weston McKinney to Italy? Make you know, consider things, right? Or or consider doing something different with Weston McKinney. Like we we talked about this a little bit. Um, I do think that what happened was valid. I do think that it may have been the right decision, but may, maybe Greg Berhalter needed to sit back on his ethics a little bit further if he didn't have a plan for what to do whenever he did the right thing about Weston McKinney. It's, it's a problem. Yeah. And, you know, we are going to touch on Weston McKinney here uh, as soon as we're going to break down the kind of the game first, but you may hear like, and my voice should be conveying the emotion, but the, the actual video as well. I mean, it's, the reason this is as passionate from us as it is is because this is so important and it's something that like legitimately I it is look I've told the story before on the podcast but when the US didn't qualify for the last World Cup I I still remember exactly where I was I was in Tampa going to school I was in St. Petersburg with A.O. St. Pete, a good friend of mine. Ronald Chin was the president. Amazing person. Check them out. Um, and we were at the bar. And all leading up to the game, it was just nerves, 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 and anxiety because we knew what we needed to do. But we were fairly confident we could either win against Trinidad and Tobago or that things would fall our way. And as the match went on, we were cheering, but it was pins and needles. And then, you know, things didn't bounce our way. And I remember sitting in that bar for three hours after the fact, just unable to move, being devastated because it hurt. It was something that was just unfathomable. And I had prepared myself mentally, but Tampa and St. Pete are soccer hotbeds. And that entire week afterwards, I did not go to college classes. And a lot of my friends and classmates also did not go because we could not handle the fact that a failure of this magnitude had happened and that nobody was willing to own it. And that is something that is seared into my mind and will always be seared into my mind. And it's not even so much that they played well and didn't qualify. I could have lived with that. It was the fact that they failed on so many fronts and nobody cared. The Federation did not care. The team did not care. There was some pain, it looked like. But to them, it just seemed like it wasn't a big deal. And I'm sure it was a lot more internally than they were willing to put out. But I was in distress. And I have spent the last four years, like everybody else in this country, trying to rebuild what was taken away from us because we did not just miss a world cup. We missed the excitement of the fan base because soccer was on a trajectory in this country to grow so quickly into something so huge. And AO was going big and you had Samras coming onto the scene and there were massive watch parties in Chicago and DC. And then all of that momentum that we had spent 20 plus years working on was ripped out from under us. And we have to start at square one. 
and you can look where at square one because nobody's going to bars. And I knew what that was going to mean for us to not qualifying. We didn't just miss a tournament. We set the country back five or 10 years in terms of soccer progress. And it sucked and it hurt. But finally, you know, we were talking about a golden age of U.S. soccer and we're coming around the corner and we're seeing them win Nations League, which whoopty fucking do great for that. And we saw them scratch and claw their way to a Gold Cup victory, which they had no business doing, but they did it great for them. And then finally, World Cup qualifying rolls around and you're like, okay, you know, wasn't an exciting game in El Salvador, but I can live with a 0-0 draw, you know, at the point. And then you go into Canada and you know Canada's going to be a hard game, so you're willing to accept the draw if they played well, but they didn't play well, so you really want to win. And now you're concerned. And now you're coming up in the back leg against Honduras, a place that we historically have not played well in a game that we really got to have three points from. And you're sitting going through your head and the doubt creeps in. And I'm not a player on the team, so I can only imagine what's going through their heads. And you're wondering, is this going to be what it's going to be? Because in my opinion, and I will be blunt, if we do not win in Honduras and we come around to the next group of games and we do not win the first or two out of those, I think Greg Barhalter needs to be fired. And I think a new coach needs to be brought in immediately. Because the reason we did not qualify last time was a lack of awareness and trying to steady the course too late in the game. And that is why there is so much raw emotion because it is something that means so much to me and so many others in this country that we want this to become as big as it is in other countries around the world. And it would be one thing if this was a rebuilding cycle, right? We don't. We this is not that. This is an incredibly talented team. Some of the players on this team are having incredible seasons or just had incredible seasons in Europe. There is no excuse. None whatsoever. So yeah, it's frustrating, but it is a hundred percent from a place of love because you know it it is something that we have been waiting for with excitement and now it's turned from excitement to Jesus Christ we're not going to qualify again and I know that seems like a drastic result but if you lived through it which if you're listening to this you probably are that is why everybody is freaking out on Twitter it's not because we aren't rational it's because rationale tells us okay here we go again and unfortunately until somebody proves us wrong that's going to be the mindset Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And and I also agree with you on the the Berhalter's firing side. And I hope, you know, like like I said before, the the whole the whole point of soccer management is making a plan and then having contingency plans. And I hope US soccer, if you are listening, knock knock knock. Um I, I hope that you're just starting to explore options. I hope that if, if Greg Berhalter is not able to get this team settled into this world cup qualifying system, that, that you've got a plan that you've got a backup for, for that plan, because it's obviously that we need some new direction. And, and, and I believe that he has the ability to, to get our players working. He's just got to, he's just got to execute, the plan um 
And if he's not willing to do that, or if he's being um, affected by outside sources or, or forces, um, he's he's got to stand up to that and play the and play the game. I mean, that's it. Full stop. Like right there. That 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 is that is just a bit. And that backup plan's name better not be fucking Bruce Arena. Just gonna throw that out there. So no. Yeah, yeah. Still, still a little salty about that. Yeah, that was yeah. All right. So let's talk about USA Canada. Let's uh let's let's talk about that. So, um, it was a one-one draw. Uh, a little surprising. The U.S. looked like poop. Um, straightforward. Like, let's just call it a 0-0 first half at home of a very raucous American Outlaws home advantage. Um, and, you know, there was a bunch of yellow cards. As we talked about, the yellow card rule is dumb and it's going to get a bunch of players suspended. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with the lineup tonight. The 55th minute goal for the U.S. coming from Aronson, of course. Um, very important, 1-0. And you thought at that point, maybe the U.S. is off to the races. Thank God we figured it out. All right, it's a home game. El Salvador was just rough because they were, you know, doing mean things to us or whatever. And then literally seven minutes later, Laren scores off an assist from... Why am I blanking on his name? Um, goodness. Uh, we'll, forget, we'll get our stats person on it, but... There was an assist from, I think, arguably Canada's best player whose name I can't remember right now because I'm so moody. Um, and it was beautifully set up, a wide open tap in of an empty goal. And then you were like, all right, cool, game on, let's go. You know, fuck Canada and their niceness or whatever. And then nothing happened because the U.S. didn't do anything. You had subs from Canada used the way they were supposed to be. With subs coming in the 58th, 65th, 65th, 77th, and 77th minute for a total of five subs. Take notes, Greg. And then you had Greg Burhalter's incredibly brilliant strategy of subbing on DeAndre Yedlin at the 44th minute. Okay, that's a choice. And then using three of his other remaining five subs in the 83rd minute and leaving a sub in hand. Now, I don't know about you. And this may just be the anger talking, but in my experience as a soccer manager, which is none, but I do play a lot of football managers, so I believe I'm qualified to talk about this. Um, you know, if I'm managing a game of a magnitude of a World Cup qualifier at home in the final round of the, the octagonal, and it is a one-to-one draw after the 60-second minute, and I have four subs in hand, and clearly what I've got on the attacking front isn't working. I don't know about you, but I'm probably not waiting till I don't know, the 83rd minute to make three subs and say, well, maybe now seems like a good time. Um, the only reason I could see that is that you were just resigned to accepting a draw and trying to save legs for Honduras, which, all right, I guess if you want to make yourself miserable, good for you. But I thought that was a poor decision. And then to end with a sub in hand, when literally we have talked on this podcast about how important depth is going to be in this tournament, to me, screams somebody was hung over and didn't want to be there. Yeah, that's... The the fact that he didn't use the sub, the that last sub, and the fact that he... He managed the the other ones poorly was an absolute bad choice. Um, I did think that it was odd. It was almost like 
I, I was watching the game and, you know, we, we got the goal, they came back and it really was like we parked the bus. Like now is not the time to park the bus. Now is a home world cup qualifying match. Let's consider playing. And you know, I, I wish sometimes that we had an opportunity to review some of the notes because you know, I, I do try to go into that place in the back of my mind and go, what is he thinking? You know, is it, is it the yellow card system that's making him nervous? Is it the, um, the, the fact that it was a very physical match? Is he trying to think ahead to future matches wherein he's uh, worried that somebody's going to come on and get injured? Um, is like, th there are so many things, but None of them ultimately make sense. Like I can't logic myself into a, oh, well, obviously that's what he was thinking around any of it. And, um, and yeah, I think the players themselves, you know, e even, even being a player at that level, you know, yes, you want to be coachable. Yes. You want to be teachable. Yes. Ultimately the coach is, is, is running the, the running the plays, but if it were really all about the coaches in these matches, it 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 would be a a, a FIFA match, right? It, it would be the coaches uh, set up with their game consoles and just managing the teams through the process. Um, the players on the pitch matched his energy and then some, and really just seemed to um, get really comfortable with that with that draw. Uh, and, and not do everything that they needed to do. And even if, even if your coach is sitting there on the sideline and telling you, uh, just sit back, just sit back, like go play, you know what you need to do. You're, you're a player at this level. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really what it boils down to. Um, you know, we look at, we look at some of the statistics and the U S had possession for 72% of this game. They outshot Canada 11 to six. There was equally both had seven chances. Um, you know, the U.S. completely outpassed on accurate passes, five hundred and five to one sixty-two. The pass success, eighty-six percent to seventy. You know, uh, we had five corners and we had eleven shots, only two of them on target. Um, we hit the post once in what should have been a goal that would have been the the winning goal, and you look at that. And you think all of this adds up into basically being what you want to call like an advantage for the U.S. They they on paper did outplay Canada, but when you look at most of that possession, it didn't lead to much of anything. Um, in fact, you know if you if you really dig down and you really watch and you really like really dissect the game, it was a whole bunch of ass hattery it was physical and this is a team that we beat in the gold cup just a few weeks ago one to zero like let's not forget we played them and we beat them with our c squad um and look you're absolutely right it was almost as if we approached this game as if it was in canada we got a goal then they tied it and we parked the bus but you know one of the problems with that strategy is, and this is going to be very surprising to a lot of you, it's a home World Cup qualifier, which means you need to fucking win. Um, the point being, the roadmap for the U.S. to qualify has always been 
win your games at home, don't get embarrassed on the road. It's literally our strategy because we suck everywhere else. Um, it's that simple. So yeah, um, you know, I think that a one-one draw in Canada would have been incredibly acceptable. Like that would have been, I would have loved that. The problem now, and this is where we get into things getting weird. We got to go to Canada and win that game. I do think that, as I was telling you off air, for every match you lose at home, you have to make up with a win on the road to keep things even. Where is that win on the road going to come from? Anybody's guess. Um, But usually, you know, it is, it is one of those things where this was a game we should have had, and they just underperformed. And I don't know whether it was pressure at the moment or what it was, but yeah, I think that we got lucky again. Everybody else gave us draws, so we're not in as big of a hole as we were, but we very much so could be in a bigger hole if we were. And fun fact, the goal against Canada when it came was the longest it has taken the U.S. to score in a qualifying cycle in the history of the U.S. Soccer Federation in terms of getting their first goal and opening their campaign. So a little fun tidbit for you. I mean, nobody needs to hear that. I don't need to hear that. I just thought I'd share. I just I just thought you'd want to know. I feel like that was a little little fun fact that you might enjoy knowing. <laughs> it's so Yeah. The the possession that. game alone tells tells me such a story about about parking the bus. You know, you sometimes can look at a possession number and say well, that's a team that was really pressing and pressing and pressing. But I, I really feel like that that was a team that continued to play the ball back, continued to play the ball scared. And and yes, managed to have some nice pass accuracy, but was definitely not handling that ball in the right direction that, that made me say, gosh, you're really trying to win this game. We outpassed Canada 505 to 162. Yeah. 505 to 162. If that's not parking the bus, I don't know what is. Like, you know, 500 to 300, sure. I mean, look, let's, let's, let's be real here. You look at games where, where the bus is parked, and usually the possession number is that lopsided. Um, so that is what it is. Um, that is 100%. All I really have to say about Canada, um, now we're going to pivot to Weston McKinney, and then we're going to talk about Honduras. So, Darby, why don't you fill in our fans on where we are on the Weston McKinney situation? You know, on, honestly, I would like to very first say great big thanks to Weston McKinney because he is doing his level best to even the playing field between the men's team and the women's team by bringing the absolute drama to this match. Uh, I haven't seen this much just petty bullshit on social media for, for a men's for, for, for some sort of exterior men's drama in quite some time. So thanks Weston for, for taking that over to the men's side and showing that not just the women's team can bring this petty bullshit. So um, when the Canada match started there, uh, 
you know, they, they come out and let everybody know that uh, Weston McKinney has been suspended from the game due to breaking of some protocol. Um, and, and even at the very, very beginning, uh, the announcers, the, the broadcasters had uh, not a whole lot of specifics on what had happened. Um, Weston McKinney actually came out on his own social media and said the typical, gosh, I'm really sorry, guys. I'm sorry to let down my team. I broke COVID protocol and am not going to be playing in the match today. Um, of course, we all know that then Greg uh, doubles down, sends him off to Italy. Um, and yeah, bless soccer journalism. This story has continued to grow. The drama has continued to be there. Uh, at least two times uh, we have determined that Weston McKinney has broken the COVID protocol there, uh, basically pop, you know, pop the bubble as it were. Um, apparently at one point he had an, uh, an evening visitor in his hotel room. Uh, at another point, he actually uh, left the bubble to go and do some carousing. Um, and, and, and the biggest drama of it all Big dad energy. Gotta love it. Um, so we've got some journalists on Twitter that are having conversations about the Weston McKinney debacle and everything that's going on. Um, and to respond to Paul Tenorio, who uh, you know is, is having this discussion with Jeff Carlisle, John McKinney, Weston McKinney's dad, pops in to say, that he is a better person and uh, could be name dropping more violators, uh, could be dropping a dime on his teammates, um, but instead he's going to quote unquote, take it on the chin and uh, bounce back and what a decent young man he is. And yeah, I mean, just, I mean, sure. Come to Twitter, uh, try to um, defend your kid that that's, that's one thing, but your, your kid did wrong. Your kid knows he did wrong. Everybody in the world knows he did wrong. And there is absolutely nothing that is going to uh, circle the wagons of people trying to get into your, uh, into your business and what's really going on. Then having your dad respond to two soccer journalists on Twitter, um, trying to, to overplay his, but my son's a good boy hand. And, um, and yeah, Weston McKinney drama is absolutely um, it's, it's terrible for the team. It's wonderful for the drama. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I really don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Weston McKinney because in my opinion, he fucked up and, that's on him, and he will reap the consequences of his actions. And if we end up not qualifying because of him, then he will have to live with that, right? Like, that is that is his own damn fault. As for his dad, well, if you had that on your bingo card, go ahead and dab that real quick. Because uh, that, did look, I, too, appreciate that the men envy the women's equal pay lawsuit so much that they are inserting their own level of bullshit drama to really just emphasize that we're all equal, right? Like, it's it's real, real nice of the men to sign the solidarity with the women by bringing on their own version of Hope Solo. I honestly believe 
that they are doing a fantastic job of really just standing in solidarity as Darby loses it on camera. So that, no, you want to say something, Darla, you jump in there. (laughs) Oh, boy. I cannot. But am I wrong? You are but am I wrong? You are you are absolutely <laughs> not wrong. That that visual of like Weston McKinney with the Hope Solo ponytail is really what is living See? in that space right now. See? Look, it's there. You're not gonna be able to unsee it. You're welcome. But yeah, I mean, look, in all seriousness, like it's it's look, I get it. You're young. You're probably horny. There was probably someone in your hotel room. Like, let's just call it what it is. We're all adults here. But, and hear me out here. You couldn't have waited till after the World Cup qualifying international cycle to, like, do the business. Like, I get it. Look, look, I'm non-binary, okay? I get it. I do. I understand. I am probably around the age of most of the people on this team. I get it. I do. I do. It's hard to be quarantined, especially when you're a well-known player that probably has people throwing themselves at you all the time. I'm a internationally known DJ. I get it. I do. I, I really do. However, and this is the big however, I played the biggest set of my DJ career this past Sunday. Do you know specifically what I did not do leading up to that entire week? I locked myself in the house far away from everybody, far away from my boyfriend who had to go out into the world to work and did not see a single soul for the risk of getting sick before something as crucial in my career. Was it difficult? Yes. Did I enjoy it? No. Did I get to the end result and play in one of the best sets I've ever played and advance the career that I was trying to do? Yes. And that is what it boils down to. Sometimes in life, we have to make decisions. That in the short term really, really suck, but in the long term are the benefit to the benefit of not just ourselves, but everyone who has sacrificed so much for you to get to this position. Because a lot of people aren't talking about that. Like, not only did he screw himself over, he screwed over all the people who put him in a position to be on the team, his family who probably sacrificed God knows how much to get him there, his teammates, their family, like all these people who put down you know, the brickwork for you to get to where you are and you screwed it up. And that's just what it is. So to be honest, no, I don't particularly want to spend a lot of time talking about Weston McKinney because I think that he shouldn't really be getting any attention. And honestly, I don't know if he's going to be back for the World Cup qualifiers. He might be done. Like This might be a you fucked up and you're done situation. And we'll have to see what happens. But yeah, I mean, you did it stupid. And you have to pay the consequences. It's my honest belief. True. So, yeah, that's all I got to say about Western McKinney. Now let's talk about what we're really here to talk about, which is Honduras. And I will lead with this super fun fact that is going to be even more fun for you than the last fun fact, which is if the U.S. loses on Wednesday, this will be the worst ever start in the history of U.S. soccer in qualifying since the hex or octagonal began in 1998. This would be worse than the last World Cup qualifying cycle, where the U.S. had at least three points through three games and failed to advance. 
it would be worse than the 1986 World Cup qualifying, where we did not qualify for the World Cup, but still had three points through three games at the 1985 CONCACAF Championship. It would be, to put it in perspective for you, a loss here would see them sitting at two points after three games, putting them on pace for, wait for it here, 10 points in qualifying when it's expected that 20 is what you're going to need to comfortably qualify. So if you weren't excited for tonight, buckle up, kids, because let's talk about what's happened the last two times we've played at Honduras. Because, you know, I led with that. Now let's let's talk about what's happened the last two times we visited our good friends in Honduras for World Cup qualifying. And let's go all the way back to 2013, a time that we remember fondly because we qualified that time. And uh, you might remember this match. We went to Honduras in 2013, same stadium, great time. We scored first, actually. We were off to a great start. Everyone was excited. Here's a name you haven't heard in a minute. Clint Dempsey scored. And then we gave up a goal. Wait for it. This is going to sound real familiar. Four minutes afterwards, and then in the 79th minute, we gave up a second goal and we lost 2-1. to one. Okay, fair enough. But we actually topped the group that cycle. So there was that. So, okay, cool. That was the time Mexico did terrible and had to go to a playoff, if you remember correctly. Now let's fast forward a little bit. All right, so, you know, that's a loss. That was the last time we played. Let's go to the most recent time we've played in a World Cup qualifying cycle. And that, of course, would be on the road in September of 2017. And you may remember this very fondly because <laughs> we had quite a fun time with this. So, of course, same stadium, super great time, um, super adorable, had fun, and 1-1 one, one draw. So, it wasn't a loss, it was a draw. Um, but, of course, as you remember... We ended up missing that World Cup to, ironically, of all teams who beat us out by one point, might I add, for the fourth place spot, Honduras. You know where that one point could have been made up? A head-to-head -head game in Honduras. So, yes, we look at that, of course, and we go and you look at the facts from that match. And again, same thing. You look back, Honduras scored first. We scored in the 85th minute on the Bobby Wood goal that kept our hopes and dreams alive at that point. So that was late in qualifying, but that was a draw. You have to go way back to look at the last time we won a World Cup qualifier in Honduras. In fact, they don't even track it back that far. So I couldn't tell you. But to tell you that winning in Honduras is something we are good at would be a lie. By comparison, every time we play them at home, we win by five goals. So that should escalate to you how hard it is to win on the road in CONCACAF when you're not playing your home games in the U.S. Darby, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, it's, you know, it's like I said before, I, I, I kind of jumped the gun on my on my Honduras coverage because... Um, I, I hit it a little bit early, but Honduras is not an easy team to beat. Honduras is not an easy team to beat in Honduras. 
And um, with the poor choices that were made in the uh, Canada match, if those choices are repeated, I, I, I don't, I mean, we're, we're not going to win if those choices are repeated. I hope that every single player, I hope that every single <clears throat> Greg comes into this evening with a renewed sense of purpose and without a complete focus on what absolutely has to go right and a commitment to doing those things, we are going to be on the struggle bus. And if we do not win tonight, it's really like, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough rest of this qualifying. And, um, and yeah, let's, let's really hope that everybody learned all of the lessons uh, at home in Canada and is going to be able to uh, check those bags and take all of those lessons down to Honduras. Now that we've covered the history, let's talk about what we can realistically expect from tonight's match. Um, Lineup-wise, it's anybody's guess. Um, in case you haven't heard, Zach Steffen actually tested positive for COVID, so he's not traveling to Honduras. So not only is he injured, now he's tested positive for COVID. So fan-fucking-tastic for that. That's just right on cue with what we've been doing. Um, most of the betting odds have uh, <laughs> have it pretty split, believe it or not, between who they do and don't think is going to be the favorite. Um, of course, I would likely tell you that the most likely outcome is probably a draw. Um, but it anybody's guess. There are also, however, two other very important games that are happening tonight. Really, three important games that we should be keeping an eye on. All of them are important. So we'll first start with Canada playing El Salvador. Again, we really want to be cheering in this scenario for a draw. That is very important for us, especially if we can pull out a win. But operating on the concept that we're going to get a draw, we really need Canada and El Salvador to get a draw. That would be very good for us. That game is in Canada. Mexico-Panama, this is a double-edged sword, depending on how you want to look at it. On the one hand, Mexico winning would advance their gap on the rest of the field, but also keep Panama closer to us. But in that case, we would have to cheer for Mexico to win anything, which is never fun. Counterwise, Panama winning would knock Mexico back and make the field even more of a clusterfuck. Assuming we could win, then it would be a one point difference between first and second for U.S., Canada and U.S., Panama and Mexico. So pick your poison there. The real important match, Costa Rica-Jamaica, we would really, really like to see Jamaica win that match uh, because Costa Rica is competition, but they're sitting at one point. Ideally, though, we would be just as happy with a draw. What we don't want is a Costa Rica win. So that's kind of your around the horn, so to speak. In a perfect world, if everybody draws, then we're just right back where we were and everybody sucks. So, I mean, that's also an acceptable scenario. Um, in terms of tonight's match, it is a late start once again for reasons that make zero sense. Um, what is important to point out is that, look, we 
talk a lot about panic on this show, and Darby and I do think it is very seriously time to be concerned, but this is a long qualifying cycle, and I think people need to realize that there is there are more games than in the hex, right? So we have a little more breathing room. If you had told me that at the end of the first three games, we could be sitting at two points in the hex, I would have said, well, we had a good time. It was fun. See you next cycle, maybe. And I would have started picking a different team to switch my allegiances to moving forward. Because, you know, I hear Panama is nice this time of year. Um, But it is the Oct. It is a different beast. It is very compressed. And as terrible as this is going to sound, we had a really hard opening three games. We did. Road against El Salvador, road against Honduras, home against Canada. But I want to stress, if this team, which they are totally capable of doing, can come out and win in Honduras, sitting at five points moving forward makes this three-game set look a hell of a lot better than potentially three points, which again is still acceptable-ish when you look at who we played. Not great, but you take it. A loss, however, and Darby and I will be back here tonight screaming on a podcast for you to hear at six in the morning when it comes out. And I don't care if Darby is miserable and I'm miserable. If we lose tonight, we're going to drag ourselves to this podcast because, boy, are we going to have some things to say. And I don't know if you can mark anything explicit like four or five times, but you're going to want to probably protect your children from that one. Right. So, yeah, I mean, Darby, closing thoughts. Yeah, we're we're gonna need a what bigger E. We need a bigger yeah, e, for sure. Like like a capital E or like a size thirty four font E, explicit. I think e. we'll just like put explicit in the description like twenty seven times. It's all caps, and then also mark it with B. So for everybody's sake, let's just hope the U.S. can figure it out tonight. Fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll be. Yeah, you know. So, so Darby, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Thus far, our predictions are 0 for 2. I think, I think actually, um, I think I predicted a draw in the first game and you predicted a win. So that puts me ahead with one point to zero in the, in the head to head calendar. Neither of us made a prediction in Canada. We just both said it was a must win. So let's put you on the spot here and keep the game going that I'll keep track of now. USA Honduras. No, let's go around the table. USA Honduras. Who do you got and why? Oh, um, I'm going to say 2-1 USA because really I, because I really think it might be the other way, but I'm afraid to put that energy out in the world. So all right, 2-1 USA. I'm going to say 2-1 USA, but that, that is absolutely a, I, I can't stand to have that little hope. So that's what I am going to say. USA Honduras, the U.S. is going to score first. Honduras is going to tie later. And then the U.S. is going to get some cockacafly dumb goal. And they are going to somehow pull this off two to one. But it's not going to be pretty. And we're not going to feel good about it. So I will agree two to one. Let's go to Costa Rica, Jamaica. This game, of course, in Costa Rica. Who do you got for Costa Rica, Jamaica? 
I think this is going to be an opportunity for to, for Jamaica to redeem themselves a little bit. I I don't think that they're going to win, but I I think that I think a one one draw. Yeah, I think I I think that while I would love to see Jamaica get in there and a draw would be great, I think Costa Rica very much so will end up winning this two to one, two zero. Um, I'm going to take Costa Rica. Moving ahead, Panama and Mexico, the arguable match of the night between teams one and two. Uh, both teams beating Jamaica. Um, Panama more convincingly. Who do you got in Panama and Mexico? This game, of course, taking place in Panama. Oh, I'm going to say that one's going to be a 1-0 draw. Or a 1-0 draw. <laughs> a 1-0 draw. draw. Yeah, that'll be, that would be pretty impressive. A 1-0 win for Panama. Look at that. You, you're going out on the limb saying Panama's going to upset Mexico. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly, I worry very much about the energy that I'm putting out in the world for the U.S. match. But the rest of this, I'm just playing. I, I, I'm playing the lottery. Like I'm, I'm placing my bets all over the place. Cool. You know what? I like your energy and I am going to say that while Panama will score first, I think Panama and Mexico will be a one, one draw, um, which, you know, I can live with. And of course our friends up North hosting El Salvador, Canada and El Salvador in Canada. Who do you got? say Canada's got them 2-1. All right. So, based off of all of that, if any of that happens, it's literally a clusterfuck in the hex and I'm not doing math, so figure it out for yourselves and we'll leave it there. So, uh Darby, if you want to give our usual spiel, you can. Otherwise, we will see you guys next time. I'll let Darby pull up the spiel and of course, I do want to credit Mixkit for our lovely alarm sound. We appreciate them. Check out all their stuff. Super awesome, fun times. And uh, yeah, to give it to Darby. Yeah. Find us on social media at switchthepitch1 on uh, Twitter and Instagram, fb.me slash switchthepitch um, on Facebook and switchthepitchsoccer.com for all of our articles. And uh, yeah, we'll see you on Twitter tonight. Yeah, it should be a fun time. So buckle up, kids, because it's either going to be real good or you're going to have some fun listening to tomorrow. We'll see you guys next time. Goodbye, everybody.